Father, we thank you that we have a great hope in Christ. We thank you that our only hope is the perfect hope. And therefore, we can come believing in, in them because you are the author of our faith. Our faith is effective and it stands. And so, Father, I pray that you'd work that in us today. Lord, I pray that this would be a special time that we can hear from you and you would communicate to us not by our wisdom or understanding or abilities, but through your word and by the power of your spirit giving it to us and the power of your spirit receiving it. And it would be worked in our hearts. Lord, it would be, be worked it would be worked in our hearts, Lord, in such a way that Lord we would go from being idle to being very proactive in your kingdom for the glory of Christ, Lord, that it would cause us to go from being hopeless sinner to being one who knows that he's been given a Savior and therefore is given strength to overcome and given hope in this world, knowing that Lord, this world no longer uh, owns us. We're owned by Christ. Father, as we approach First Samuel, I pray, Lord, that Lord, we would be moved by the prophetic word. That we would see that it's been given to your people. And Lord, it's meant to equip us, build us up, show us who we are, show us who you are. Father, I pray that Lord, we would see that as we read your word that it's so much more than words on a page in a book. They're alive. Father, allow them to come alive, have movement. Lord, fill us with your Spirit. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, t- today we start a new sermon series, and we're in the Old Testament. We're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel for a time now. I remember when Mr. Buddy Johnson came to me and was telling me his, his concerns for my generation, our day and age. Listed a number of things of which I agreed with, and he said, but you know, people that were much older than me used to tell me the same thing about my generation. And so I think everybody kind of looks back to the good old days and sees things going forward to the bad old days. And I think that's, um, for a number of reasons, that could be the case. But as we approach the book of First First Samuel, we are really approaching the bad old days. This is when the land was barren. This was a very bad time in history. This, we are approaching the end of the time of Judges in the nation of Israel. If you remember at the end of the book of Judges, you may have heard this, that this was the time where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that is what 
that, that is what we are looking at when we go to First Samuel. So as we approach this book, we are going to look at the story of Samuel, preceded by the story of his mother, which we will look at today. We're going to see the story of Saul. We'll also see the story of Saul and David, where their lives intersect, and we will see how they interact with one another. We'll also see through this book the story of King David. We'll see here how it points to other historical books, how it also, uh, there are psalms that were written that were based on this history. David wrote psalms about his life that we will see in 1 Samuel. Of course, we will also see how this book points to Christ. And so we will look at a period here of immorality, idolatry, a lack of worship, And today we're going to look at the person of Hannah and her relationship with the Lord. And I hope that through all of this we will see that God will provide His Word to those who believe. And I think we will get deeper into that, but I I hope that as we go along that you will be able to follow how the story of Hannah will show us the opportunities that are within barrenness. And we're going to see how barrenness and her life of barrenness and even living in even living in a barren land well, that provides opportunities and then we will see God's faithfulness to his problems and then a solution a solution to the problem and so as i mentioned the land of israel was experiencing spiritual barrenness in this time and we see the story of samuel begin with hannah's barrenness we see that The story of Samuel wants us to see uh, that Hannah's picture of barrenness, her brokenness, is really a picture of what's going on in the land at the time. So as we read this, I hope that we will see that picture along with the bigger picture. And we're going to look at 1 Samuel 1, verses 1 through 20. There was a certain man of Ramathim Zaphim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, Jeraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man, referring to Elkanah, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. And to to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed And her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? 
After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So as we see this powerful story, we see Hannah and we see her in in her distress and in her pain, in her deep struggle. And we see uh, an account of Elkanah's other wife, Penina. The scripture actually refers to her as Hannah's rival. Most likely Penina realized that Hannah was Elkanah's favorite that he would clearly give double portions from the Lord. Seems to be references to the fact that Hannah was Elkanah's first wife, the one that was most loved by him. But year after year, Penina would irritate Hannah, would provoke her, and would show her that she was the one that had had the children. She was the one that had given Elkanah the family. And so year after year, the whole family would go up to Shiloh and they would go to sacrifice and worship before the priest. And you can imagine that as Elkanah's family grows and grows, and as they travel to Shiloh year after year, Hannah is realizing that this family is growing and growing while my womb remains closed. She struggles through this. And year after year, her pain and her awareness of her Barrenness just increases. But this particular case, this particular year, describes perhaps a low point for Hannah. It describes a point for Hannah where she goes and she's in desperation. And perhaps year after year, Elkanah sees her struggle. And this year, Elkanah then responds and tries to be helpful and empathetic. But as we... Men so often do. He probably made things worse, as we see this scripture. And 
men can probably relate this, relate to this, and shamefully I can relate to this. And how many of you have, in a moment of distress, that your wife may be distressed, how many of you have possibly tried to prevent, present yourself as a prize? Present yourself as the one who has, who, who is the good part of her life. When she is struggling from loss or pain or something that she does not have or something that she sees all around her but she's not been able to have. And this is what Elkanah does in verse 8. He says, why is your heart sad? Am I not worth more to you than ten sons? And the scripture doesn't record Hannah's response probably because there was none. Probably because in her mind she knew to keep this to herself, but she was thinking, no, you're not worth more to me than one son. And Hannah was struggling. And Elkanah was simply making it worse. This was a real low point for her. But what we see is that this was a real opportunity. Because with emptiness, with barrenness, with brokenness, there's something, something that is offered that is not offered otherwise. Penina is going up to Shiloh year after year offering sacrifices, probably sacrifices of thanksgiving for her many children and for her abundance. Hannah's trip, on the other hand, is different. Her barrenness leads her to a different type of worship, to a different type of sacrifice. And so the question would be, can we really find opportunities within barrenness? Can we really find opportunities within emptiness and brokenness? Illustrate it with this silly little thing, but not too long ago I was at a restaurant and I ordered a glass of water and my server, who was a great server in all respects except for the fact that he spilled my glass of water uh, over and all of my water emptied out onto the table a little bit on my leg and onto the floor and my uh, waiter just stood there, froze. It was kind of the worst nightmare of a server to spill the drink on someone. He was mortified. And I looked at my knocked over water and my empty glass and I just said, well, I really wanted tea anyway. <laughs> and so he brought some tea. There was an opportunity that was created by an empty glass of water to bring what was really needed or what I felt like I really wanted. Silly story, but to say that emptiness, loss, brings us new opportunities that aren't there before. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Saying, blessed are the empty in spirit, the barren in spirit. He says, yours, those of you who are blessed by your emptiness and your poverty belongs the kingdom. And he is saying, Christ is saying, my ear belongs to you. Now, I can't guarantee to you that he specifically or definitely had Hannah in mind when he said that statement on the Sermon on the Mount, but I'm fairly convinced that he had Hannah on his mind. I'm fairly convinced that Hannah consumed his thoughts when Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Isaiah 61, 1 through 2 said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And it goes on to say in verse 2, to comfort all who mourn, 
Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 1-7 when he's speaking to the church. He says, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. So what did this barrenness lead to for Hannah? What did this produce? And as we read through this passage in 1 Samuel, we see that Hannah gets to a place where words just can't come out when she's before the Lord. Have you ever been in a place where you've been so desperate or struggled in such a way that you can't even get the words out and you were desperate for someone to know how you were feeling because you couldn't say it? Have you ever been in so much pain that you couldn't describe it? And this is where Hannah was. She was in such a place that the words couldn't come out and she desperately needed someone to know how she was feeling without her speaking. And what we see is that Eli, the great high priest, the judge at the time of Israel, could not see what her heart was saying and instead judged her according to what he felt like was more normal in the land of Israel at the time. It was more normal for him to see someone drunk, intoxicated, than for him to see someone truly engaged with God by pouring out their soul. This text goes in detail into how Hannah prayed and what what she was experiencing at the time, but I believe it is summed up in verse 15. And just as Eli is accusing her of being intoxicated, Hannah says that she has not taken to neither wine nor strong drink. She says, I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Martin Luther says this. He says, he said, Grant that I may not pray alone with my mouth. Help me that I may pray from the depths of my heart. And I would take that even further. And I believe Martin Luther would even take it further to say, Lord, grant me times when I have not the words. Grant me times that I have to come to you in such a place where I have to depend on the Holy Spirit to intercede for us, for me, with groanings that are too great for words. And this is what Romans 8.26 tells us about the Holy Spirit interceding for us on our behalf. And this is what's going on with Hannah. She has not the words. She's praying with her heart. So this is what Hannah's doing. As they all as a family go to Shiloh, they present their sacrifices to God. Hannah gives herself. She offers her being as a living sacrifice. She offers herself as her spiritual worship. And this barrenness was a gift from God to Hannah, even though she didn't realize it at the time. Because the worst thing that can happen to us is that we can be given all the desires of a heart of stone. Because as our heart of stone receives all that that heart may desire, then that heart of stone will remain a heart of stone. And so, this is not a proposal that we read this, and and this is not a proposal that we read this and we say we must put ourselves in a position of barrenness, of emptiness. This is not a proposal that we walk towards what will break us. But this is a hopeful opportunity of how to respond if you are there right now. 
And this is a hopeful opportunity for when that time comes. When you will see that your soul is empty. When you're in need of being filled. This is a hopeful opportunity of what that opportunity brings. And when we get to that place, as Hannah got to this place, God then reveals His faithfulness to His promises. And so this can ask us, what is it that I can what is it that I can pour out my soul before the Lord? What is something that is there that can cause me to pour out my soul before the Lord? What do I see that God can fix? What, can I, what do I see around me that needs redemption that I can then get to a place where I can pour out my soul before the Lord? Hannah was in a barren land and she had a barren womb and she prayed for a son. Not only did she pray for a son, she's in a barren land experiencing the silence of God and she's praying to God. So she's praying for an answer. She's praying for God to respond to her prayer in a barren land. When God is most silent, when He seems to have been at a distance, Hannah saw the opportunity to engage with the Father. And that leads us to this, God's faithfulness to His promises. In verse 11, Hannah says, O Lord of hosts, remember me. So she's saying, the Lord of all the angels, the Lord of all the saints, please remember me. So why would the Lord of all angels, the Lord of all the saints, the Lord of Penina, who has all of the children, why would that Lord remember the weak and barren Hannah? And here's why. Because Hannah knows that she is his and she knows who God is. She was very familiar with the history of her God and her people. And she knew that God loved Israel out of all other nations, not because Israel had proven themselves to God, but because God chose to love the weaker nation. God chose to love Jacob, the younger brother. God would soon choose, because of Hannah's faithfulness in prayer, God's answers to that prayer, God would soon choose David, the youngest to be the king. Paul tells us that God chooses to shame the wise, but He chooses to lift up the humble. And so Hannah is saying, remember me, look upon me in my weakness, see me in my weakness, See me in a place of need for you, Father. I remember when I was in my senior year at Auburn and interviews were being uh, done on campus day after day, especially that last year. And we would get coached on these interviews, sometimes by our professors, and they would say, the key is... They said, everybody's going to show their resume. Everybody's going to show that they've done this, this, this. The key is is to make yourself stand out. They will interview hundreds of people for this position. How will they remember you? How will you make yourself stand out? How does God remember us? He remembers us 
because in His infinite wisdom and knowledge, He knows that we are His. And He remembers us in our weakness. He remembers us because He sent His Son for us. And He sent His Son specifically for you and specifically for me. And He knows us by name. And so as we call upon the Lord of hosts, the Lord over all of us, remember we go in Christ because when we go in Christ, we go as the ones who are weak and needy. We're weak in ourselves. We bring nothing in our hands when we go in Christ. When we don't go in Christ, we come with stuff and we say, God, here's stuff. Here's what I've done. Here I am with all that I've done for you. Please respond. But instead, when we go as Hannah went with nothing, that their spiritual worship is nothing, we cling to the cross, to the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, knowing that He loves us in Christ. So here's what we find out as we read this story. That God told Eli that Hannah's desperate and faith-filled prayer was going to be answered And then we see that Hannah's face was no longer sad. And here's what's so powerful. Hannah made a vow to the Lord. She said, Lord, if you will just give me a son, then I will give him back to you for his whole life. Now, we make vows. We make vows to God. We have wrongly said things to God, and then we've taken them back. God, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, I promise I'll do this. And we take those back. And yet Hannah did not. And we will get into further, we will get into this further next week. But Hannah did not. She kept this vow. And you may even wonder, well, why didn't God say, Hannah, I'm giving you what you always wanted. You can dedicate Samuel to me in your own household. You can keep Samuel there with you. But she did, in fact, give Samuel over to Eli. And so, here is someone who was pouring out their soul before the Lord. The Lord gives her a son, and then she has to let him go. She has to give him back for all the days of his life. How could Hannah remain okay with that deal? Here's what we see. Hannah knew that there was something greater than having a child. She heard from the Lord, and she had a father. And she knew that it was greater to have a father than to have a son. And you can see this, and you can say, I could never do it. No, but look at Hannah. Elkanah, her husband, was not enough. He said, how am I not more valuable than children? And she said, because you're not. Elkanah was not enough. The father God was enough. She had enough. She could give her son back. All she ever wanted was a son. The father gave her a son, and she gave the son back because she had the father. He answered her prayers. And God is in the business of giving solutions to our problems. This is a reminder that Israel was in a spiritually dead place in their history. Eli, who was both a priest and a judge, he at the time believed that Hannah was drunk because that was normal. He had seen a lot of that. 
But what we see is that Hannah's prayer would lead to the birth of Samuel. Samuel would be a solution to Israel's problem. He would lead the nation to a new place of spiritual vitality. It would be his listening ear that would bring the voice of God back to Israel. Samuel could hear God. And we see that early on in Samuel's life. When he kept thinking Eli was calling him, it was the Lord calling Samuel. Samuel could hear God. He was the voice of God for the people of Israel. He was a solution to Israel's problem. So here's what I hope we will see as we close. God gave Hannah a son. The faithful God answered the prayers of Hannah. And then God also used Samuel for more than Hannah could ever imagine or dream of. Because do you realize that we are dependent today on the prayers of Hannah so many thousands of years ago? We are dependent on her prayers and God's answers to those prayers. She dreamed of having a son. She never dreamed of giving birth to a prophet that would then lead Israel to a place of having King David, King David whose eternal throne would be established forever, of which the Christ would come. We're dependent on that. God used Hannah's prayers, her brokenness, to call out to God for help, and then God provided Samuel. God provided answers to Hannah's prayers that would then lead to answers to his great plan. Samuel was a necessary, albeit temporary, solution that paved the way to the ultimate solution in Christ. So as we take this, and as we apply this, know that God answers prayers for our sake, and then also for His sake. And so as God seeks to heal us and bless us individually, He is also working for the corporate kingdom, and therefore there is never separation. As we pray to God and as we seek His face for His providence, He's looking at us individually and then He's using it for the glory of His kingdom, for the spreading of His glory, for the acknowledgement of His Son across the nations, even as we pray for something that is to happen in our very own home. He sends those answers out worldwide for generation. After generation. And in fact, He will use our prayers and His faithful answers forever, for all of eternity. And this is what we clearly see in Hannah's prayer. And so I go back to the question what is going on that you can consider can lead you to pouring your soul out before the Lord? Neil invited me to a seminar this week. And the speaker was saying over and over that God works through the prayers of His people. And he, he opens up opportunities to serve our neighbors through our prayers. And so, I would ask, do you have neighbors that are living on barren ground? God can add life. And He will choose to do it through the prayers of His people. Do you know of families, family members that are living on barren ground? Can God provide fruit and life to that ground? He can. 
And He chooses to do that through our prayers. Elkanah could not satisfy Hannah's soul. Eli, the priest, could not understand Hannah's heart. Samuel cannot be our Savior today. But they all shift our eyes to the one who knows our hearts and the one who can solve our problems permanently. God has provided His Son, and through His Son, He provides His Word, even and especially in times of barrenness. In times of barrenness, God will provide His Son who will provide His Word. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You allowed us to have insight into a very private, difficult, painful moment in the life of Hannah so that we can see the opportunities that arise out of emptiness, barrenness, confusion, misunderstanding, feelings that everything is against us. Pray that we see the opportunities in that. I pray that we would see the opportunities in a glass that is empty because it can be filled with that which is good. Provide Yourself for us, O Lord. And let us not neglect the opportunities that we have in prayer. The opportunities that we have to pour our soul out before the Lord. And Father, I pray that You would lead our prayers to open up the opportunities to be fruitful the opportunities to provide fruit in life to a barren land. Lord, I pray that Your prophetic voice would come back to our land, to our people. To Your people. Would Your prophetic voice come back to Your people? And we pray that You would use us for your glory, as we boast only in Christ, that you would use us, your church. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.